You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. much for joining me on episode 28 27 wow. of the, I can't remember now I think it's 28 um, right. episode 28 of the nth dimension and um, let me just tell whoever is listening in who you are Leia Gazan sure. is a member of uh, parliament in Canada and she represents the Winnipeg Center writing and on August 10th Leia you submitted the motion to convert Serb um, into a guaranteed livable basic income. And today I think is a good day as any other to talk about this because I saw that, uh, CERB was trending on Twitter again. And it's something that I've noticed like, really, wow. (laughs) It's something that I've noticed on and off, uh, during the past few months, uh, since CERB did get instated. So why don't we just start off by talking about sort of your intention behind the motion and why you decided to submit it? Well, I think if anything we've learned uh, in the pandemic uh, in Canada is that we actually do have the resources. Uh, we just have lacked the, the political will. I represent the third poorest riding uh, in the country. Um, you know, and since the, the pandemic hit, uh, my, fir- my community that I'm working with uh, and individuals I see go further and further in crisis. I've met uh, families uh, living in shelter who lost uh, jobs as a result of the pandemic. Uh, I've met people that are living in encampments that, again, you know, lost jobs because of the pandemic and are now living in, it, in encampments uh, in my riding. In a country as rich as Canada, in a country that has a charter, uh, with, with that, that speaks to the obligation to ensure that everybody can live in dignity and with human rights. That certainly is not happening in my riding. That certainly is not happening across the country. That certainly is not happening in many uh, First Nations, Indigenous and Métis communities where even toilets and clean drinking water are an issue. We know uh, one of the greatest uh, deterrents uh, against uh, the pandemic the mo- in terms of health um, Canada or health uh, Canada uh, guidelines is to physically distance and to have frequent hand washing. Well, that requires a home and it mm. requires access to clean drinking water. Uh, you know, I, I live in my riding, I live right next door to uh, all the shelters. They're down the street from where I live. Uh, in this country, as I said, as rich as Canada is, we it is, is it is abhorrent that people are living without human rights and dignity. There is no excuse. And we know through the pandemic and we've witnessed that the government actually does have the resources and we have the resources. We've just lacked the political will to do a bunch of things. 
uh, and one of the things that that uh, we need to change is we need to uh, divest from corporate welfare. One hundred percent. You know, yeah, right. Uh, you know, one of the first bailouts that this current government made when the pandemic hit was to the oil companies. Well, I don't know many oil companies that are starving for money, and I can tell you. I don't know many oil companies that are upholding the rights of the workers uh, that allow them to get so rich. Uh, we need to divest from corporate welfare. Things like MasterCard doesn't need $50 million. Loblaws didn't need $12 million. We need to tax offshore tax havens. We need to tax the ultra rich so that they're paying their fair share and we need to invest in people. And that's exactly what my motion proposes to do. It proposes to ensure a guaranteed livable income for all. Uh, many people do not have uh, a livable income. Um, uh, to account for regional uh, cost of living differences, for example, mm -hmm. it's more expensive in northern Manitoba mm -hmm. uh, with food costs than it is in, let's say, Winnipeg. A uh, rent is higher in Vancouver than let's say Saskatoon, for example. So to account for regional differences, um, to be available to all persons over uh, 18, including single persons, students, um, disabled persons, seniors, uh, permanent residents, refugees, uh, temporary foreign uh, workers. And this is critical because we know since the pandemic hit, and although it's been widely known, what has been outed is, for example, the poor treatment of seniors uh, in this country, making them more vulnerable. The fact that there was migrant workers in Ontario working in, um, working in and staying in conditions that did not protect them against COVID-19, getting food rations, mm -hmm. uh, being beholden to employers that were exploiting them. Mm -hmm. We cannot, we cannot accept this. We have students that through you know a, a program the students programs where they've been left behind uh 912 million dollars students have not seen it um and we know that students are going further and further into debt we know that poverty is a norm among students students shouldn't have to live uh, in poverty and particularly because of the pandemic preventing people to work students are now in a, a place where they can't even afford tuition to go back. And as a longtime post-secondary educator, uh, we know in places like uh, Germany where they have free post-secondary mm -hmm. education, it's not okay for me that students live in poverty uh, in this country. We need to support students better. Yeah, so let, let me ask you a few questions off that. You know, I did a few episodes on UBI on this podcast. You know, we just right when COVID hit, um, one of the first episodes I did was how COVID-19 has built a case for UBI. Went on to do with how it could help young people, how it could help the environment. Um, I'm sorry? Artists. Artists, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and, you know, just generally increases your, um, it, 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 it versus you from risk almost, yeah. uh, a UBI. So, you know, let's say we're well grounded, um, at least here, you know, um, in the benefits of a UBI. And for anyone who wants to know more about it, I'll link back and forth. But one of the things I really want to push you on and ask you about is, you know, something that you have used, political will. Uh, I think one thing that the pandemic has made clear and for the better is that 
when something needs to be done, the resources are available to do that. 100%, 100%. The money is available to do that. So the argument that has mostly been laid has been laid down for against UBI has been, oh, we don't have enough money to that. It's going to co- it's going to cost a lot. You know, so that's kind of been put to rest because we do have the resources and we can put together the money. And also, if there's money to subsidize oil and gas and to bail them out, then there's definitely money to give to people. So how do we lean in on political will? Where does that come from? Yeah, so just just a couple of points just to lay some more, uh, you know, um I guess missed to, to rest. The other argument that's that's occurred with with a guaranteed livable basic income is if, well, if you give people a basic income, they're not going to work. Well, actually, I have to go by research, and we have found out that that is absolutely false. Uh, examples are the Mincome study in Manitoba that found that people still continue to work, uh, but costs went down in healthcare, mental health supports, crime. It it began to pay for itself. Finland. Uh, currently has a, 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 an income program, uh, one of the happiest places in the world. People continue to work, but what it does do is it allows people to be innovative. Mm-hmm. Uh, it encourages entrepreneurship. And at a time where we're seeing an increasing automation, um, we need to, many people have to go back for training, for example. Uh, traditional jobs that were once served by people are taking being taken over by robots and computers. Mm-hmm. I mean, just go to the grocery store and you go to the self-checkout. That's five jobs there yeah. uh, that, that are a machine now. So, you know, you know, we need to do things differently. The other thing that, that people don't talk about is the high cost of poverty. Poverty costs a lot of money. And, you know, when you invest in people, uh, when you ensure people are looked after, we know there's natural cost savings. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know in my riding, uh, as you know, we have a, pr- a provincial government that is quite, quite adamant to um, impose austerity measures. I've, I very rapidly see our community declining in mental health, declining in wellness. I see crime rates going up. For example, uh, health, like how much does it cost? We had two murders uh, down the street from me uh, just the other week. How much did it cost to have three police officers, six police officers there, an ambulance, a fire truck? What would it have cost to save a life if we were actually looking after people? We need to think about the high cost of keeping people poor. Poverty costs a lot um, of money. And so, you know, we, we talk about guaranteed income programs. It's, it, it's, it's, and there's different, uh, um, uh, formulations of guaranteed income programs. What I'm proposing is a guaranteed livable basic income for those that have not a livable income. Like I wouldn't qualify right now, who knows in the future, what's going to happen to me. Like we mm-hmm. know during the pandemic, things are very uncertain. Uh, but if you don't have a livable income, it's like an income supplement. And it would be in addition to current and future government supports because we know uh, with UBI programs that if it's not rolled out properly, if they say, okay, well, we're going to put in a UBI program uh, and replace the whole social safety net, I'm saying, no, 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 no. We can't afford cutbacks to our social safety net. 
we need to add on to our social safety net so seniors are not living in poverty and almost homeless right now or mm -hmm. having to choose between medication and rent. We need to adjust our social safety net to ensure that everybody has a livable income and can live with a dignity and human rights. And we take an oath as members of parliament mm -hmm. to uphold the constitution. And that also includes the Canadian Charter. So we have a legal obligation to do whatever is in our power to make sure that we uphold hold the Charter mm -hmm. and our Constitution. This is a people's movement. This is not my movement. Uh, I worked very closely with Basic Income Manitoba, Basic Income Canada, uh, anti-poverty uh, advocates from across the country, organizations, individuals, students. This is a people's motion. This is not my idea. This is not a new concept. Uh, and the momentum is actually occurring because of people. It's Definitely. a people motion. And so I'm actually quite irrelevant in all of this because unless people rise particularly at this critical juncture in history we find ourselves and say, we believe in human rights. We believe uh, in dignity. We want to divest from corporations. We want to invest in people. We want to divest from fossil fuel subsidies where this government spends billions of dollars. We cannot afford it because we need to invest in people. That pushes political will to do the right thing. And when there's thousands and thousands of people watching it gets harder for governments, including the current government, to turn a blind eye. So I explain to me how emotion turns into a bill and then eventually sure. becomes something permanent. Because I do see that your petition online has gotten, what, 350,000? No, 36,000. 36, yeah, it was like 35,000. But, but that would be great. But that's a lot for a petition, <laughs> that's a lot. actually. Yeah. yeah, that's a lot. That's like in terms of how petitions go. And since uh, in, August in just 10. over two weeks. Yeah. 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 So, so that's, it's like substantial. Exactly. So explain to me uh, whether the petition is separate from the motion or. Yeah, so, so basically, um, okay, so the motion just when you do a present a motion and you push it forward uh when people vote on it like members of parliament vote vote on it it shows the will of parliament okay um and what my hope is uh, i did put forward a private members bill bill c232 the uh, climate action or the climate emergency action framework Mm -hmm. Because of what's happening, COVID, and because this government, who knows what's happening, uh, it just gets more uh, uh, unstable by the moment. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, I don't think that it'll, it'll make its, its rounds this time, I'm being honest. So I, I put forward this private member's motion. You're only allowed to put one private member's bill through uh, to help push the will of parliament to move towards um the to move to be pressured to move towards legislation on a guaranteed livable basic income and my motion i'm hoping frames that discussion and and it's it's a it's a critical framing and going back paragraph 5 of my motion talks about how it has to be in addition to 
current and future government programs and services, meaning I don't want if this government proposes a guaranteed livable basic income program, I don't want them to then say we're going to slash programs. I'll tell you why. If you if you look at the income study they had in Ontario, there was a lot of pushback from the disability community because rightfully so. They cut their programs. They gave this instead. It made people poor. So yeah. we have to make sure that when we institute a guaranteed livable basic income program, that it's not at the cost of our current social safety net, which is inadequate to begin with. Are you also saying this should be in addition to um, employment insurance? Well, however that looks, I know that employment insurance right now uh, came out of the Great Depression. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. Uh, the the uh, work environment has changed substantially, and the the amount that's offered, even with the replacement of CERB uh, into EI, which only forty percent of people will qualify for, is sixteen hundred dollars a month. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's not Toronto, livable. That's nothing. Yeah, that's not livable. And did, I don't know if you know this. This was in Kim, Senator Kim Pate's document, who has been a real champion of, of this as well. And that's what I mean. There's just so many people. Fifty senators actually support it. Mm-hmm. That that people are living like in under in poverty. Of course, in Toronto, you live in Toronto, right? Mm-hmm. Is that yes. Right? Yeah. Some people are living less than ten thousand dollars a year. Yeah, when you when you mentioned that um, in in your writing, in you know you've seen the number of homeless shelters, uh, people shoot up, encampments shoot up, and and you mentioned that yours is the third poorest writing in the country, right? Yeah. Um, but I've noticed that in Toronto as well, most of the parks, like if you've ever have you, I'm sure you've been to Toronto. Oh yeah, many times. Yeah. So, um, I you know. Trinity Bellwoods, which is one of the you know main parks in the city, there are so many sh- so many uh, tents set up now, close to yeah. Bathurst and College. There's so many uh, tents set up. So I've seen a lot of tents go up, and um, and I've been wondering why that is. You know, how is it that, like you mentioned, one of the richest countries in the world, Toronto, one of the it's, top ten yeah. cities in the world? You know, so well, it's, it's about governing. It's about choices. Like, I choose people. I'm choosing people. I'm saying we need to divest from corporate welfare, uh, you know, and we need to invest that money in people. There is no reason in a country as rich as Canada that was built off the backs of the human rights violations of Indigenous peoples on the lands here. Mm -hmm. Why people should be having to move into tents. And that's why a guaranteed livable basic income is really critical right now, particularly because we are in a pandemic. It's a, it's a public health and safety response following uh, the um, guidelines coming out of Health Canada around physical distancing and frequent hand washing. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is not... Uh, beyond the scope of, of international agreements that this country has signed on to, including things like the right to housing, mm-hmm. ensuring people have access to the right to housing, uh, to ensure that people have food security, and to ensure that, you know, like I said, I have families moving into shelters. Like we have kids spilling on the streets right now. And we need to do 
whatever we need to do to make sure people are cared for properly, particularly because we're in a pandemic and going forward. And again, we know through what's happened and certainly through the CERB that we actually do have the resources, but we've lacked the political will and now we have to push back. Right. So when you say that, um, you know, political will will hap- will be a result of people signing on, the public signing on. Let me push back on that a bit because we've seen over the past two to three years, we've seen some of the biggest climate movement rallies, right? We've seen, you know, young people who don't normally turn out to vote have turned out for, turned up for the environment. That's, yeah. you know, it's been this election, this, this past election was kind of a referendum on the environment, you know, and any party that failed to have action, ha- have an action plan for what they were going to do to improve, to mitigate the crisis were essentially voted out. Um, so despite people um, of all age groups across all political spectrums wanting some answers on how you're going mit- to mitigate the climate crisis, our government has still continued to, especially the Albertan government and you know, hand in glove with the federal government has continued to provide subsidies to oil and gas corporations. Some of the biggest, um, some of the biggest bailouts were for oil and gas even now during the pandemic. Um, so, you know, here is a case where people's will is not being represented. So, how do you? What would you say to that? Well, I feel totally down now. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I, don't. <laughs> I would disagree. Gotcha. I would dis- I would absolutely disagree. You, as as human beings, voters, choose who is there and who is not. Like I took out an yeah. incumbent uh, in my riding uh, by eight points, in fact. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, you know, and part of the reason I think I was voted in was because I took like very clear stands about uh, pipelines. People know where I stand on pipeline development, uh, even LNG, Muskrat Falls, Site C Dam, TMX. I've been very clear on my position. I had very clear um, uh, position, certainly on a guaranteed livable basic income. That's something that I campaigned on, um, you know, and, and people decided to vote me in and, and I've stayed uh, consistent with my platform. I've stayed consistent on my positioning around. Uh, so you can't. Sorry, you campaigned also around this very motion. Well, hundred percent. I mean, it's I represent. So interesting. Third, yeah. So you know, I represent the third horse riding. This is not a new concept. This is something that people have been um, fighting for for a long time. But now we see a window. Like we finally have a window. And the more pressure that people put on, uh, the more likely it's going to happen. But we also need to put pressure to make sure it's done properly. Paragraph five, again, to beef up our social safety net, not to cut from our social safety net. We cannot afford cutbacks in, in our social safety net. So, so I, I think voting matters. Mm-hmm. I think things would be even worse, even though I think this uh, current government, uh, including in, in, in the provinces, have done a lousy job in terms of doing their part to ensure that we meet climate targets across all party lines. We, we need to do better. Um, and, that, um, and that your vote matters, because I, I suspect it would have been far worse uh, if people didn't know that there was parameters around the bottom line. So 
you know, it's certainly unacceptable. There's, uh, you know, the TMX, they bought it for $4.5 billion. We bought it with our taxpayer dollars. We bought, a pi- you're a pipeline owner. I'm a pipeline owner. I, I didn't want to be a pipeline owner. You can keep your pipeline. Now my share is growing because now it's like, what, $16 billion and we don't even know the cost. Now they're saying, oh, Christia Freeland, she took over for Morneau. We know, like... We don't even know how much, like how how much of the pipeline we owe. We didn't have a choice in it, but we do have a choice to vote people out. But people don't. I mean, that's the thing, right? Like, yeah. I guess first I want to ask you, why did you decide to run last year in in the first place? Yeah. Like, what was? I mean, I feel that your writing is has the third because it is so poor. I think people are also compelled to we're compelled to vote for your plan, which was straightforward, right? I feel that. Well, it's, you know what, we're, we, we have a lot of financial poverty, but we are rich with ideas and our organizations, like we are the home of the Winnipeg strike, J.S. Woodworth. He used to represent this riding. So I represent, uh, you know, like what we lack in financial wealth. We certainly don't well uh, lack in community. We're very rich in ideas, uh, the, some of my bias, but I think it's the best writing in the world. And I think we have some of the best organizations in the country. Like we are so wealthy. Of course. Uh, in I mean, so many ways. financial but, poverty is but, not representative of yeah, intellectual but, wealth. Yeah. And community wealth, like yeah. our community shows up for each other. Like we show up for each other. You know, it's a privilege, uh, like I'm very humbled because I just hold hold this community in such high regard. So, so uh, put I can't even remember the question. I'm on a community rant. I do love my community. <laughs> I, I Please go crazy. Go oh right. So why did I run? That's exactly. So I've been asked to run. So I'm sorry. I got on and I love my community tangent. Sorry. I do and this that is a lot. why you won. <laughs> I do love my community. Like I'm in love with my community. So so I've I've been. Um, asked to run for about 10 years. I'm a longtime anti-poverty human rights advocate, climate justice person. And things just felt like they were really dire, like climate change or the climate emergency. Like, never mind, it's not change in climate. It's a climate crisis, climate emergency. Um, You know, increased uh, levels of poverty. Uh, You know, over the years, I've watched this community get poorer and poorer and the, the, um, disparity between those that have wealth and those that don't the the growing inequalities is screaming in a riding like mine where we don't have a cushion which is why you know the pandemic hit and we see it immediately because we don't have that cushion here and how does it show like can you help me i've never been to winnipeg so i don't know well you know in our riding in april within a span of 10 days, we had three shoot to kills by Winnipeg police, one which was a 16-year-old girl, all Indigenous, uh, you know, in a a span of 10 days. Uh, We've had uh, a number of murders that have happened uh, in the riding. We have increased uh, levels of addiction, uh, which, which has been directly correlated with mental health. Um, And when you don't look after people, whether it be, and, and, and at the very big basis of that, uh, you, you go into a crisis. I also want to talk about that in terms of notions of working. 
So one of the arguments I hear often about guaranteed livable income is like, people just need to get a job. Get a job, get your boots up. I know it's summer, but you can still wear boots in summer. Get a job. I mean, like, you know, like that's like, you know, right? That's the perfect you know. imitation. <laughs> you know, but here's the thing. You know, there's so many seniors in this country that live in poverty. Are we saying to an 80-year-old, just put those boots on. I know it's summer. Get a job. I know you're 80. I mean, we don't even look after senior citizens. People with severe mental health issues that are not getting proper support, that really can't manage to go to work nine to five. Uh, people with intellectual uh, disabilities, for example. You know, if you look at the pandemic, if you look at... Uh, this the disability community they were offered a six hundred dollar one-time tax break that you had to go to five appointments to get mm -hmm. uh what a slap in the face for 50 bucks a month yet they're bailing out corporations so you know this whole notion sometimes about it's not even about like mental health issues or disability or pension i mean like our millennials and, you know, our, I say my generation, we're some of the most educated people, you know, we go to university yeah. and accrue a lot of, accrue a lot of debt, but yeah. the jobs are just not there, you know? Not there. So, you know, with so much knowledge and education and, you know, picture perfect resume in hand, but if there are no jobs, then, I mean, just, my, you know, I was talking to my mother today and she's like, even doctors are not earning a lot of money anymore. And this is coming from an Indian mother where we're told, you know, become a doctor, become an engineer. And it's like a highway to a good life. But even that is no longer the case, yeah. you know, because it's, it, it also depends on what is the job of the, of the time. And today it's all about software. So, so I think, you know, people who never thought would lose their jobs have lost their jobs during a pandemic. 100%. And, so, and I think you raise a, the, 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 the critical point here. We have, particularly with young people, a growing amount of precarious work. Like, we need to end things like unpaid um, placements, student placements. Oh, please, yeah. Like, police, like <laughs> 550 years ago. Like, somehow being a student has become independently wealthy, and we have a prime minister talking about the benefits of volunteerism, like students don't need money to pay their tuition and pay their rent. I would love uh, to volunteer on a oh, UBI. Sure a of, oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure people would volunteer. Uh, again, a lot of unpaid work, like even staying home with kids and things. But I think, you know, when did it become so noble to have to work three jobs and slave making the very wealthy more wealthy? And why is the focus on people who are work, trying to work hard or do whatever they are, are doing to try and survive in this world? Like, why is nobody saying, oh, those corporate welfare bums sitting on the beach drinking a cocktail, lying on their yacht, paid for by my taxpayer dollars. Yeah. Like we need, we need to change that discussion. Definitely. Uh, that benefits a neoliberal re regime that, that is not focused on people, but making the wealthy more wealthy. Gotcha. And I'm, and I, and I'm with you. And I like how just, you know, a while ago you mentioned that EI came out of the, the great, um, depression. So when COVID started and we were talking and CERB came about, 
an excellent economic response for most, for a lot of people, let's just say that. An economic response is a good health response as well. And we can see the lack of which has done to America, for example, right? So, you know, a lot of people were hoping that on the other side of this recession, this massive recession, we would see um, more positive economic reforms coming out for um, the greater number of people. That does not really seem to be happening. We're, you know, we're talking a lot about UBI. You know, there's still new stories coming out weekly on the benefits. We, yeah. I think we know what a UBI can do for people. There will always be critics for a good revolutionary motion. You know, there will yeah. always be people who say, oh, there are people not going to work. It's going to cost a lot, blah, blah, blah. I think there's always going to be criticism. But it sure happened in Medicare. Everybody's like, this guy's going to fall. Exactly. It it, <laughs> it, yeah, it reduced the yeah. cost to the state, right? Yeah. So again, I, I and I ask you, I think the biggest question that, you know, people in, you know, as... As just we're not political actors. We're just someone who are going about their daily lives, putting our vote in, hoping that our needs are met and represented, right? But I feel that somewhere along, democracy has not kept up with the change in pace of life and society. So, yeah. is voting enough? You know, because well, politicians I, can yeah. campaign on something, but then once you're voted in, you may not do it. So, how do we make? certain political shifts happen that are truly representative of the people? Well, I think, you know, as somebody who was an advocate for pretty much my whole life, you know, my parents were advocates. I was kind of, I was born into it. Um, I would, I would say you guys are the main players, uh, the main players, not just through voting, uh, but through your voice, signing petitions, uh, writing your MPs and senators, uh, you know, uh, mobilizing so that issues don't get lost. Uh, you know, one of the, the uh, bills I worked on, uh, you know, prior to being elected uh, was Romeo Saganash's bill C-262. And the government at the time to, to fully adopt uh, and implement the United Nations Declaration on the Indigenous People. At the beginning of that movement, and it was a, a movement that occurred throughout the country, the government was like, yeah, no. But the public pr pressure got so intense, so intense, that it, that it really um, obliged the government to vote in favor of his private member's bill, which was killed in the Senate. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but, but that only happened because of people power. I see the same sort of uh, quick momentum, a petition that's been out just over two weeks now um, with this. Uh, and I and I talk to colleagues across that we have support from liberals, bloc, conservatives, greens. Uh, private members motion, uh, my party support, our leader supports it, um, that, uh, I do you know, feel that like UBI as opposed to, let's say, um, moving people on the climate crisis, I feel that UBI does antagonize some folks. Like, let me, I wrote out this tweet for you sure. I, when, when CERB was trending today, um, I was just going through the tweets Someone at can underscore libertarian, for example, tweeted the fact that hashtag Serb is trending in Canada reveals just how dependent many Canadians have become on government and forced income redistribution. Hashtag socialism sucks. Yeah. 
I thought that was hilarious. You know, so um, I don't think it sucks, but you know, exactly. we're, <laughs> we don't think it sucks. You know, I kind of like it. Hashtag socialism can rock. <laughs> I just thought that was so funny. No, but but it does antagonize a lot of people still. So well, there's some people that don't believe in a social safety net at all. Yeah. Um, and, and that, and that's their right. That's, that's a democracy. They can say, I don't believe in a social safety net, but I, I just want to remind again, going back to the charter, you know, we have a Canadian charter and part of that charter says that all people have a right to live in dignity and with human rights and they even outline some of them. Mm -hmm. Right. We have an obligation as elected officials to uphold the charter consistently, not when it suits our economic interest. Uh, you know, human rights shouldn't even be partisan, in fact. Human rights should just be human rights. We shouldn't make human rights matters uh, a partisan issue. And I would argue, and I, and I have lots, of, you know, I'm a longtime academic. I could write a paper on it and give you all the facts and figures, and I would do it, that the willful blind eye people are turning, elected officials are turning right now, not all, some, to grotesque poverty, poverty which I feel is a very clear human rights violation, is not reflective of the oath that we took when we were elected, which is to uphold the rule of law. And that means lifting up the Constitution, which includes the Charter. That is not happening. And we have a legal obligation uh, to uphold that, whether it be on resource development, uh, uh, Indigenous rights and title, uh, ensuring people have a human rights, housing, clean drinking water, etc. We have an obligation. I take that, you know, uh, oath very seriously mm -hmm. as a legislator now in this country. Uh, I took an oath uh, to the people of my riding, but also to all people in Canada that I would follow the rule of law and that doesn't mean sicken police on human beings whether it be you know people who are defending their their rights and title to lands and territories and resources or individuals that are living on the streets as a as a very direct result of having their human rights not being upheld mm -hmm. by all levels of government um, we need to do better and a guaranteed livable basic income, ensuring that people have the very minimum that they need to live in with dignity and human rights is the least we can do. And we know going back that we can pay for that. It's yeah. about choices, wealth exactly. taxes, offshore tax havens, divesting 100%. from fossil fuel industries, not giving their law law buddies $12 million. MasterCard, MasterCard needs $50 million? <laughs> Because exactly. as far as I know, everybody's paying about 25 to 27% interest. That's called corruption on wheels. It, it seems very ironic that MasterCard, <laughs> the provider of money, credit needs that dough. So that, that's yeah. highly ironic. But let me ask you this, um, because I know I, we have a um, you know, limited time window with you, Leo. So let me ask you this. What gives you hope that the violations that are currently occurring in our political system, the corruption, um, you know, the fact that our 
or elected politicians um, are cozying up with oil lobbyists and, you know, financial elites, corporate elites. What gives you hope that, you know, if not immediately after this pandemic, that we are going to see some positive change that, that you know, um, ch that definitely we see visible change in the lives of people. How, what gives you hope that that will happen? Well, when I ran, uh, I ran on movements. I said, we need a movement. Okay. This is a people's motion. Another example. I have hope in people. And if there was ever a time in history where we need to rise in the masses to fight against the climate emergency, uh, growing economic inequality, systemic racism, now is the time. And sitting there as a bystander, you know, silence is a very strong political statement. And people, I think because of the pandemic, are becoming less fearful and more vocal uh, and are not uh, sitting in silence. So that's where my hope is. I don't think, I think it's about people and I think it's about movements, civil rights movement in the States, for example. Uh, movements of Indigenous peoples through across this country in terms of frontline land defense young people uh, fighting the climate emergency that are, you're right, you are the millennial population, more educated, more in tune with what's going on around the world, probably to do a little bit with social media and things like that. You know, movers and shakers. It was young people across this globe that changed the discussion to even bring focus real focus on the climate emergency. It's about people and people are powerful. Every human being is powerful in everything you do and everything we do every day doesn't have to be on the front lines. How we choose to treat somebody on the street, for example, with dignity, that's a political act. Whether we choose to see something and do something or just forget about it, that's a political choice. And what I'm saying with this guaranteed livable basic income, we do have a choice here. What we've lacked is political will, and it will take people from across this country, from all walks of life, to push for this change. And look, Medicare, EI, some of the changes that have happened uh, in this, this country in terms of you know, uh, the current system we find ourselves, uh, women's rights, you know, which Indigenous women are still fighting for, you know, we still yeah. don't have equal rights to other women, you know, but, but it is the, the fact that we, you know, they need to actually follow up uh, on the calls to justice, but the, the fact that because of movement, we actually had a national inquiry into murdered and missing Indigenous women and girls. The fact that we even talk about climate as, as an urgent matter. That's because of people. So that's where my hope is. And if I didn't believe in the movement, which is where I feel most comfortable, I would have never ran. But I believe in our com the community I serve and all our experience. I believe in people. I've been in movements my whole life. I'm almost 50. 
you know, I've been in movements my whole life. If I didn't inherently believe in that, I wouldn't do this. That's where the power is. And, and with this movement, it has shown once again, the power of people when they join together for a common cause and push. I'm with you 100, 100%, you know, power lies in numbers. Um, but just one last thing as an insider though, you know, because you are, you know, you, you're a politician, you're a member of parliament, you're working with the Canadian government. You know, I feel that I I'm, I'm with you. I think power lies with people, but I also think that there is, uh, cynicism that can brew when you when you're constantly pushing for things, but you see that you know it's the same old same old corporate uh, the government act acting in favor of corporate agenda. So, yeah. from an insider's perspective, you know what can compel politicians to you know sniff movements and the desire of the people. Well, I think people want to win, and people want to maintain power. And if they know their power is threatened, yeah, you know, for for uh, if they if they know power is threatened, they'll do whatever they need to do to stay in power. People are powerful. You vote, mm-hmm. you can also vote people out. It's the same with me. Like you know, I've been fairly um, uh, upfront about who I am. Like I said, I'm a I'm a proud socialist. Like you know, I kind of thought, well, if I'm going to be elected, I'm not a good pretender. I'll just like let it all hang out, and I got elected, right? Um, you know, and hopefully people like it and, you know, I love our community and, but people still have the choice to make at election time, which could happen anytime. Like things are pretty, yeah. you know, and, Fingers and maybe cross it doesn't. Yeah, yeah, I know it's a, it's a pandemic, but, uh, but, um, you know, people can make that choice as well. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, people and, and parties and governments, um, you know, uh, they look at polls and they look at where people are at. I mean, this is the system we're in. Mm -hmm. So if you don't think that your opinion and voice matters, check it out, check it out and study movements. Uh, the, 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 the global movements that have produced change, it didn't happen because people in governments decided, Oh, this is the right thing to do. It usually happened in moments of discomfort and an upheaval that was led by people pushing for a better world for all that's so so if you see yourself in that man i know like i'm getting older now speak up yeah yeah speak up like my parents holy man did they push changes while they were alive they pushed big changes like my dad i i know that that it's over i'm going over time I'm, oh no I, go I for it about three my dad in the 60s was a teacher and he was also a peace activist. My dad was. And he actually got fired from a job in the 60s because he refused to take off his peace button. Yeah. He got fired from his job. <laughs> he got fired. Albert, take off your peace button. No, 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 I will not. I will not take off my peace button. But guess what? Now we talk about peace in the world. And, and, and people gather together and talk about um, injustices, including... Uh, you know, that we see around the globe in all parts of the globe in terms of injustices that are being perpetrated against groups of people. That people people are powerful. So I just want to leave it at that. 100%. I see behind you po- a poster with a fist in the air which says, We the Resilient. Um, yeah. And hopefully 
you know, COVID has shown us that that is the case. People, people are resilient, but I hope that post this pandemic in hindsight, this is going to be um, definitely an inter- a point in history where something more has come, come of it. So Leia, let's push. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And go sign that petition, you know, oh, yeah. basic income motion, write all your MPs and senators, spam it. Spam the. I'm being spammed. People are sending me emails about my own motion right now. Do it. <laughs> spam, spam all the way. And let's take it up from 35,000 to the 350. I thought it was. Yeah. So go spam. Let's do it. Keep <laughs> <Ethan>. on that. <laughs> thanks so much for joining me. Yeah, today, thanks Leo's. so much. It was a lovely pleasure. to talk to you. All right, folks. Well, that was another episode of the Nth Dimension with Leia Gazan, MP of Winnipeg Center. Thanks so much for listening and checking back in, tuning back in, even though I've been taking long breaks. Um, that's COVID for you. What do I tell you? But thanks so much for listening. And you know where to find me, Twitter, at the underscore Nth Dimension. Let's talk. What are you thinking? How are you feeling? Um, lots of changes happening around us. So how do you feel about that? How do you feel about COVID and where the world is moving? What do you want from it? Do you think your country's government is doing enough wherever you are? These are all questions that we should be asking ourselves and definitely not alone together because community makes us all go forward. So stay safe. Hope you're wearing a mask and stay safe.